Now, that is such a timely message for us because we live in a noisy world. We live in a fast-paced, hectic kind of world. And uh, the psalmist gave us a wise word when he exhorted us to wait on the Lord and to do so in silence. And sometimes we are in silence before the Lord, uh, maybe with a journal, with a page of paper, and we're writing down some things that uh, He's impressing upon us. Sometimes we're waiting in silence with the Scriptures open and pondering them and meditating upon them, just kind of soaking our soul in the Word of God. And we've been inviting you into that kind of journey all this year. We began in January in a read-through-the-Bible effort. And friends, I already know several of you have uh, been confessional with me that you have uh, come to a point of some challenge, and some of you are still in the plan. Some of you have uh, fallen by the wayside. Today is a great day to get back in the plan. So don't worry about catching up all that you haven't read yet, but we're going to begin in week 22 today. And uh, you have a holiday for most of you, and so a little extra reading time and quiet time. Oh, I know you've got activities. I know you've got things planned. But you can get some stillness before the Lord. For those of you that are newer and you don't know what we're talking about, inside your program you will see uh, a reference to our website. And on the website there's a reading plan. It's a chronological reading of uh, the Scriptures across the year. By the end of December you'll have read through the whole Bible. And today we are continuing that journey in the way of considering what is the wisdom of God. Uh, have you ever seen someone who uh, was incredibly skilled at uh, some kind of craft that uh, maybe uh, an artist was able to take uh, canvas and all of a sudden create this window with which uh, you were able to, to see insights, nuances of life? Or maybe... Uh, a musician was able to take a song or an instrument and uh, just cause a soulishness to surface within you that uh, you didn't even realize was there. Sometimes uh, maybe you've been particularly taken with the skill and the capability of surgeons who do microsurgery. They, they operate at a level that the human eye cannot even perceive, can't even see. Now, this kind of skill, this kind of capability, the Bible refers to often, and particularly across the Proverbs that you're going to be reading this week. And uh, the Hebrew word for that, hoka, which means skilled or, or craftsman, is the same word used to describe someone who is skilled in the ways of God, skilled in the understanding of God, skilled in being able to follow God well. And when it's used in that context, that same word is translated wisdom. And so when we talk about wisdom, we're not talking about some uh, idealistic, uh, intangible, as much as we are, we're talking about a developed capacity See God, sense God, discern the ways of God, walk well in the purposes and plans of God. Like a craftsman. Now, conversely, someone who is not given to following God well, 
who is not skilled in discerning the thoughts and the plans and the purposes of God, the Bible refers to that as foolish. And thus I'm calling these Sundays uh, with these talks how to live wise in foolish times because we're in a time where people are not following God well or discerning what He's up to well. How can you be the exception? How can you be someone that is living wisely in this day? Well, last time we talked about that that happens by our studying the ways of God. You can see God do stuff either in the Bible or in the lives of people that are around you or in your own experience. And you study those ways and you learn things not only about God, but what God's up to. Next week, we're going to be talking about how we learn from wise people that God puts in our lives. But today we're talking about the wisdom that comes from His Word. Where you get into the Scriptures, you sit, you soak, you meditate, you saturate your soul in quietness before Him. And allow Him to impress you and to shape your thoughts and to stir you, to inspire So some of the Proverbs you're going to be reading this week will be very familiar to you. You'll look at the proverb and you go, oh, I've heard that for years. I didn't know that's where that came from. And then there will be other Proverbs that you will come across and you'll go, wow, that's different. I'm not even sure what that means. And so uh, because it's ancient, because it's old, and because it happens with idioms and things like that, you may want to have a commentary that's handy so that if you come upon a word, or you come upon a phrase that just turns in a way that you go, that's strange. You can have a quick reference and in a sentence or two, uh, or if you have a study Bible, a lot of times in the footnotes, they will uh, help you with that kind of thing. Well, for example, we will be looking at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is a favorite for a lot of you. Uh, in fact, my wife had uh, cross-stitched this onto... Uh, Some fabric some years ago that we uh, had prominently displayed in our home for a long time. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. See, when you meditate upon that, when you break that down and you think about a phrase at a time or a word at a time, trust in the Lord. Well, trust is what kind of word? It's a relational word. It's a word that is built upon, it's a, it's a reality that's built upon your having some experience with someone personally so that you trust them. And the uh, writer of the Proverbs says uh, to trust God, but not just trust Him, trust Him with all your heart. In other words, trust Him always before you'd even trust yourself. How do you think about the implication of that? Lean not... On your own understanding, but instead trust Him. So if God says this about that, but I always thought that about this, the Bible says, don't even second guess it. Go with what God said about it. Now, there are times where that feels a little counterintuitive. True? Sometimes you're like, I know the Bible says this. That just doesn't feel right. You ever been there? I'm going to bring the kids back in here. They were a lot more fun. So, 
the reason why sometimes we're into the Word of God and God is pretty explicit. It is this way and I want you to walk in this way. And we go, that just doesn't quite feel right. That's because we're told in another proverb, if it'll advance, 1412, that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. See, you just keep on reading. In fact, that proverb is so important, a couple of chapters later, it'll be repeated again verbatim. See, we adopt ways from living in this world, being a part of this culture, being socialized in the way that we've been socialized, that certain things feel right to us, feel that way. Certain things make sense to us in our context. And then we look at a scripture which is considered to be eternal. And we hold that up against our experience. We go, that just doesn't feel right. And, And the Bible says, well, of course it doesn't. And there's a lot of those kinds of ways that are going to seem right to you. But watch out. They don't hold life. They won't bring life. They'll, in fact, bring death. Go with God's way. And then Proverbs 19.16 says, Whoever keeps the commandments keeps his life. And he who despises his ways will die. In other words, when I come to a point where I can trust him, and I trust him with a whole heart, And I minimize the times that I'm second-guessing him. And I'm able to press through the stuff that just doesn't feel right. And I keep his commandments. That works for life in me. That works for fullness in me. That works for his promises coming to pass in me. And, of course, the opposite of that is lack of life and death. And then Proverbs 19.16 says this, Many are the plans in the mind of a man... We're always figuring. We're always contemplating stuff. And many are those. But you know what? It's the purpose of the Lord that really will stand. And so even when I am considering the wills and the way of God via the word of God, and it just doesn't feel right, and I'm going to devise my own plan, I'm going to figure it out myself. He said, you know what? His purposes are going to be fulfilled anyway. So the question is, would you like to be in on the ride of his will and purposes being accomplished? Or do you want to be against that current? Because it's going to happen. So uh, the brothers of Joseph purposed to sell Joseph into slavery. But God purposed to make him a ruler in Egypt. Guess who won? Jesse purposed that his youngest son, David, would be a shepherd. God purposed that David would be the king of Israel. Guess who won? Our world purposed that we would end that entire Jesus movement and Messiah thing, and he was crucified on a cross, but God purposed he'd be the savior of the world. Guess who won? So many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And when you begin to believe that, and when you begin to hold that in your heart, wisdom begins to work in you. You begin to be skilled in walking with God and discerning the the plans and purposes of God and cooperating with the activity of God. Now, there are so many practical ways. That this plays out in our lives. And it's my own testimony. I know it's the testimony of many of you in the room today. That 
the following of the teachings of the Bible have has been a huge part of God's transforming work in us. The things that I've learned about how to have a relationship with God from the Bible. The things that I have learned and gleaned about how to have a marriage that functions well, is as satisfying, is full of love, and so on, from the Bible. Parenting and all the uh, crazy things that you get into in the various stages and phases of kids' lives you learn about how to walk through all that from the Bible. Your relationships with somebody gets torpedoed and messed up. I've messed up a few. The Bible shows you how to make right, wrong relationships. How to manage your money. How to care for your body. How to plan for the future. How to make decisions. And not only that, but the Scriptures comfort us. They can rebuke and correct us. They can affirm us. They can give us perspective on the past. They can give us wisdom for the present. The scriptures can give us hope about the future. I cannot overstate the importance of the scriptures and our being skilled and, and becoming capable in handling them and studying them and internalizing them because they work the very wisdom of God in us. Now, having said all of that, I realize to whom I'm speaking and in what world and, and cultural context I'm speaking. We are in a world that constantly questions whether the Bible is true or not, whether the Bible is trustworthy or not, whether the, the Bible is something that you can actually depend upon. And and, and here's our reality, friends. We live in a world and in a culture that is inclined toward a boutique kind of religion. Right? I like a little bit of this. I like a little bit of that. I like a little bit of this other. And I think I'll just kind of pick and choose and I'll put together my own unique religion. It's called syncretism. And the only thing wrong with that is that it's wrong. (laughs) Now, you go, well, that was kind of arrogant for you to say, but if you are a Bible-believing person, then you know God claims exclusivity on truth. And that everything else is some shadow, at best, of the truth. And so, friends, what you're going to have to come down on in terms of a decision on a very personal level is whether or not the Scriptures are trustworthy. Are they dependable? Can they be counted upon? Can I bet my life on them? Does it prove right for me to trust Him with all my heart and not lean on my own understanding? And there's a lot of ambivalence about that. And then there's a lot about now conclusion. No, I can't do that. I'll just take some that, you know, I'll do the Thomas Jefferson method. You know, he took a Bible and he cut out the parts that he could accept. And he threw away the rest of it. And then he put the rest of it together. In fact, they have it in a little museum now. You can see the Thomas Jefferson Bible. It's very, very small. (laughs) This has very serious ramifications not only for ourselves, but for our children. 
So a recent study has been done of nearly a thousand students who are churched kids. These are kids that are very involved in their church. They're very regular in their attendance. Uh, Many of them have served on mission teams. and, And so they're engaged Christian kids. And out of that survey, when they were uh, being asked questions about Jesus and questions about the Bible, it revealed that 60% were uncertain that the Bible is trustworthy. 10% were certain the Bible is not trustworthy. Now, friends, these are not kids that have never darkened the door of a church, and so they're just kind of unsure or, or, or unknow about these things. These are churched kids. These are your kids. Now, that might be shocking to you. That might not be shocking to you. Because that might exactly represent where you are on the matter. And I'm just asking you today to think carefully. To think thoroughly. Even to think prayerfully that God might speak into your life and bring some revelation about the veracity and the uh, dependability, the authoritative nature of the Bible. So as I said, our proclivity, the way that seems right to us is to pick some things that kind of fit my worldview and my world experience and just kind of either out and out reject or just kind of ignore and not pay too much attention to those things that don't make a lot of sense. Don't fit my worldview. For example, I don't know anybody that has a problem with the golden rule. Right? Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. That, that would make Thomas Jefferson's Bible. That would make your Bible. I mean, you can like put that in there. I can live with that. But then you look at John 14:6, where Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The exclusivity of Christianity. And that makes some of us in the room chafe a little bit. It makes us a little uncomfortable and you're like, oh gosh, he's going to talk about that again. Not too long ago, um, I had the opportunity to hear an interview with former President Jimmy Carter. Now, for those of you that have been around for a little while, maybe you can remember his presidency. He was very known during his presidency for his faith. He was very known for reading his Bible every day, for attending worship regularly, and in fact for teaching Sunday school frequently. During his presidency, it got interrupted every now and then, but before he was president and since he's been president, he has taught Sunday school every Sunday for decades He, by his own admission, is a Bible-believing follower of Christ. So I got to hear this interview with him the other day. And it's a Christian program. And the interviewer is asking him all kinds of questions about his faith, about his practice, about his ideas about the Bible, and so on. And um, it was very obvious in the interview how much the man studies, how many theologians he has consulted, 
um, how much of his life he has given to the teaching of the Bible and trying to practice what the Bible teaches. And one of the questions that came up uh, was about evangelism and about missions. And uh, President Carter said, oh, I very much believe in that from the time I was a small child. I sacrificially gave contributions to help missionaries and missions around the world. And I have continued to do that to this day. And more questions, and it was revealed. He's made mission trips. And he's gone all over the, the globe to talk about the gospel and to talk about Jesus and the saving power that's in Jesus. And, of course, he's been very involved in Habitat for Humanity, which is a Christian-based nonprofit. Uh, that provides uh, affordable housing for a lot of uh, income-challenged people. And he's been, you know, a primary kind of uh, icon for all of that. Then the question came to John 14, 6 that I just mentioned to you. So, President Carter, what do you think about this verse? Jesus said, I'm the, the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody comes to the Father but by me. And he said, well, I, I don't believe that. And the interviewer said, okay, I just have to pause there because you said, I believe the Bible. You've given decades of your life to study and teaching the Bible. You've given sacrificially of your finances to fund missionary enterprise where people would go around the world sharing the contents of the Bible, the gospel, the hope that's in Jesus. You've made those trips yourself. But yet you think... There are ways to come to a saving position with God aside from Jesus. And President Carter said, I just know that God's a loving God. And I just can't imagine that that loving God will ever allow someone to go to hell. And friend, I realize that that sentiment represents some of you in the room. It certainly re represents the sentiment of many people that I talk with throughout the week in the traffic patterns that my life is involved in. And so here's why I'm asking you to think carefully. If a loving God would never allow someone to go to hell then why would that loving God allow His precious, pure, holy, sinless Son to suffer such horrific, grotesque crucifixion on the cross? If that price was not necessary, why in the world would He ever allow Jesus to go through all of that? And why in the world would Jesus himself say, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, no one comes to the Father but by me? Was Jesus like 99.9% .9 correct in everything that he taught, but he just, he just kind of missed it on that one point? So when I ask you to think carefully, friends, I'm just talking about consistency. And, and what is it that is uh, in the same stream of logic? 
Now, this uh, survey that was done is all captured in a book called The Jesus Survey by Mike Napa. And what he went on to say was, 33% of our youth don't believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Well, it's, there's no wonder. Because we are so unsure about it ourselves. And consequently, only 5% of these teens, churched, active, engaged, serve on missionary trip type teens, only 5% of them ever study the Bible. Why would you? If it's kind of inconsequential, if it's kind of a, there's a loving God who is not ever going to let anybody go to hell. Uh, people are never going to suffer the consequences of sin and rebellion and fallenness and brokenness. See, what that leaves us with is something that Mike Napa and many other who are writing in the field at this time, what that leaves us with is a phenomenon that we're calling moralistic, therapeutic deism. It's not real Christianity, although it's happening in churches where people are claiming to be Christians. Moralistic in the sense that this is all about being good people. I'm going to be religious. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do religious things because that makes us good people. Therapeutic in the sense that it's spiritual and it makes me feel good about myself and it's inspiring and it brings a lift. It's therapeutic. And deism in the sense that we know there's a divine being. We don't, we're not atheists. We don't reject that there's a divine being. But he's, he's pretty distant out there. But if you have a problem, occasionally he'll draw near, he'll listen to a prayer, and he'll answer a prayer. Eighty-six percent of these kids said they felt like God had answered one of their prayers one time. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. And friends, it's not just a watered-down gospel. It is not a gospel. There is no gospel. There is no good news if there's not bad news. And according to the Bible, there is bad news. We have all fallen. We have all sinned. It's irreparable. We're all condemned. Except for the mercy of God who gave us His Son, who sacrificed in our stead. And whosoever, inclusive, will believe that, repent and embrace that, bet their life on that, will have life. Now, I don't have time today, don't worry, we're about to wrap up. To talk about why the Bible is dependable, why it's trustworthy, why it is authoritative, and why you can bet your life. I don't have time to talk about that today, but I have talked about it before. And so I would encourage you, if you're interested in that topic, you can go to our website. You can go to the page that has all of the message files on it. You can click the calendar piece and just go back to October 11, 2009. And there I gave uh, the most recent uh, offering of that talk about why the Bible is authoritative, why it's dependable and trustworthy. Let me finish with what the Bible says about itself. 
Because see, if you cannot come to a place where you accept the veracity and the dependability and the trustworthiness and the authority of the Scriptures, then friends, they, they are not the place of wisdom that God intends for them to be for you. And here's what the Bible says about itself. All Scripture... 2 Timothy 3.16 Not your favorite parts are the ones that make sense to you. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All Scripture. And the writer to the Hebrews said in Hebrews 4.12 The Word of God is living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Here's what that means. The Word of God is, is like a sword that pierces your heart, and it immediately shows you what's in your heart. What are your motivations? What are your intentions and inclinations? And the fact of the matter is, we don't like that. That's a pretty uncomfortable deal. I have a friend who had been through a building project, and the building had been completed, and now the inspectors were coming through the building and into the auditorium to see if everything was uh, up to the uh, standards that they had said that they would meet. And so when they walked into the auditorium, uh, one of the staff members took a spotlight and began to show it around the walls so that as they would walk, they'd have this great look at the craftsmanship that had gone into the construction of that building. And immediately the contractor said, no, 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 turn that light off, turn that light off, or we won't take another step. And the stunned staff are like, what? What are you talking about? Why? He goes... Read the contract. The inspection will happen with only usual lighting in the room. No spotlights. No construction can withstand the scrutiny of a spotlight. And so they did the rest of the inspection with normal house lights. But friends, that is exactly what the scriptures do. It shines a spotlight on your heart and on your life, the motivations, the intentions, the aspirations, the appetites, the desires, and so on that are a part of you, some of which are evil, some of which are wicked, some of which are depraved, some of which are ugly. And it shines that light on there for purposes of changing you, transforming you, working life in you. And the fact of the matter is we don't like that. So, here's the real deal. Here's the real problem. At the core of many of us is an arrogance. Thus saith the Lord has been being propagated by the people of faith for thousands of years, and yet we come to 2012 and we see this thousands of years affirmed word from God, and we go, eh, I don't know about that. 
And you just have to see the arrogance that that is. That, that, that may not be right. How smart do we think we are? You go, no, wait, wait, wait a minute, Scott. Now, don't get too carried away. I mean, for after all. I know the Bible says that it thinks the world's flat. We've kind of figured that one out. It's not flat. Listen. Do some homework. When the scriptures refer to the four corners of the earth, it could be referring to the four compass points, north, south, east, west. Or it could just be a poetical way of referring to the vastness of the earth. But even if the writer had in his mind when he's writing that verse, flat earth, it doesn't matter. Because the Bible never intended to be a science book. The intent of Scripture is to reveal God. And to reveal the purposes and plans and ways of God. That's the whole purpose of the Bible. And with respect to its purpose, to its intent... It's without error. And it's a perfect treasure. It perfectly discloses God. And reveals His ways to us. So part of the deal is arrogance and part of the deal is rebelliousness. And friends, you can go all the way back to Adam and Eve and it started there and it's continued for every person that's drawn breath on this planet since then. God says, this fruit is not good for you to have, and I don't want you to have it. And they're going, oh, that can't be right. Arrogant. I think I will do what I want to do. Rebellious. Friends, that's the real deal. Arrogance and rebellion. After all, who should be able to tell me How I should live. Who is it that should say, this is moral, that's not moral. This is proper sexuality, that's improper sexuality. This is the way to handle your finances, don't do your finances in that way. This is how you're supposed to carry on your relationships, don't carry on your relationships. Who in the world tells me all of that? I'll decide those things. And friends, that is all the way back in the garden. That kind of thinking. So, I think you're getting the picture of where I stand on this. (laughs) But those of you in the room that know me, you also know that I love you. And that you mean a lot to me. That you are of great value to me. And so, because we haven't or are not on the same page about some of these things, does not affect the way that I care about you or feel about you or want to do some life with you. As your pastor, as a shepherding person, I am under the authority of God calling you to be biblical people. To think carefully about why 
we are right to bet our life on the Scriptures. And whether it always makes sense or not to go with God's way rather than our way. So here's the point of decision. Will you study the Word? Some of you have rejected parts of the Word and you don't even know what it's about. You don't even know why you've rejected it. You just took a cultural message that said, that's stupid, that doesn't make sense, that's anachronistic, that's out of touch. And so that's where it was for you without you even examining it. Will you study the Word? That's an important commitment. Will you ask God out of His Word to apply wisdom to your heart? And then will you live wisely, not just for your sake, and it will bless you, not just for the sake of others, it will bless them when you live wisely, but especially that you might glorify God by living life well. Let me pray for you. So, Lord, you know all the conversation that's going on in the, thought, in the thoughts and in the heart of each of uh, my friends in the house today. And I pray for your presence and for your spirit to enter into that conversation. I pray for your spirit to prick the heart, to convict and to convince the heart about what's true and what's not, what's reliable and what's unreliable. So, Father, we live in foolish times. We live in uncertain times. We live in times that are very self-centered. We have to have your help with this or we will go astray. We call upon you in Jesus' name. Amen.